Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me today on Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Today's episode is going to be about the NCAA March Madness Tournament. Unfortunately, last year, obviously, as everyone knows, because of COVID, because of trying to keep people safe, Conference tournaments were canceled. NCAA tournament was canceled. It's been a whole entire year since we've gotten to see what was going to happen in March with college basketball. But we get that answered in a few short hours at the time of recording this. I'm going to go game by game, give you a preview, fill out my bracket um, with you in this podcast. Before I get into that, though, I am going to have a little mail sack segment that is going to be getting us going as it usually does. So, those are two things on the agenda this week for Carson Sack. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Carson Sack where we talk balls. Our first question for the mail sack this week's comes from Jeff Prifty who asks, can you talk about your thoughts on Bryson? I think I hate him, but I absolutely cannot get enough Bryson content. He is much watched TV. Um, he is referring to Bryson DeChambeau, your 2020 U.S. Open winner. Uh, your winner of the Arnold Palmer Invitational two weeks ago was within striking distance all week at the players as well. And you got to honestly think, Masters favorite, maybe right now. My whole thoughts on Bryson, whether you like buy into his bullshit about science and everything like that, there are so many different ways to play golf and be a successful golfer. No golf swing looks the same as any other swing. I mean, yes, you can take and emulate certain aspects of swings like Ernie L's tempo, um, Tiger Woods' power, things like that that you want to emulate. But more so what I'm getting at, there are so many ways to be successful at golf that Bryson, because of the person he is, believing so much in math and sciences and physics and all this other stuff that he talks about and whether you whether he actually knows what the fuck he's talking about or not he at least lives up to that persona that he puts off by acting and talking like he does what the big thing with Bryson obviously adding the distance bulking up my I'm certainly not here to insinuate that Bryson was on steroids but the tour is not testing right now. He's sh- shrunk down a considerable amount after the Masters, where he said his stomach was hurting, everything like that. I don't think Bryson did do steroids. Maybe some type of like testosterone or things like that that maybe could have been questionable by tour standards. But the tour isn't testing and hasn't been testing. I don't believe since the restart. So. I mean, if you're willing and ballsy enough to go and do something like that, then props to you. Is he much must-watch TV? Yes, he was. I found myself last year rooting a lot for Bryson when the restart happened because I was in a fantasy league all year round, and I had him on my team. If I do some DFS plays and stuff, probably 80 to 85% of the time, Bryson's on my team just because I think his floor is so low and when he does go off he's winning tournaments like big tournaments pretty handedly most of the time um my whole thing he is must watch tv and it's sort of like you either love him or you hate him nobody is ever when bryson comes up or comes on tv nobody is ever just like oh Yep, it's bryson like okay i guess i'll watch what he's doing no like you're invested in in what Bryson is doing, 
you either want him to succeed or fail, and because of that, I think eyes are coming to golf and keeping people entertained. You hear all the time about golfers that move the needle. Oh, Tiger is the needle. Spieth, you saw when he um, back at the waste management on Saturday when he had and was going off in his round. The ratings were up for that. I'm not saying Bryson is bringing in this huge ratings um, spree or anything like that, but I'm saying it's keeping people interested and having people talk about something within golf, um, which is what golf needs to continue to grow and keep viewers. So everything Bryson has done, I think is a good thing. It's this strategy of him bulking up. We've heard in the last week, Rory McIlroy coming out and saying that it's worked to his detriment because he's tried to add it swing speed, but he's implemented now a two-way miss that is absolutely atrocious and saw him uh, really shit the bed at the players. If Bryson can continue to find a sweet spot of all this for his size and where he can still optimize his length and combine that with the whole irons being the same length and the physics and all the other mathematical shit that he puts into it, um, I think he's going to have a successful career. And everybody is worried about Bryson because they're like, oh, I don't know if his body is going to be able to handle this on down the line. Maybe Bryson just, who says you have to play until you're 50? Who says you have to go and play on the champion store after you're done? If you want to do that, and your body allows you to, yeah, go right ahead. But say Bryson, like, wins two or three majors and is like, yeah, I'm good, and, like, makes over $100 million, which I think he's probably well on his way to doing through sponsors and golf and everything like that, wins two to four, two to three majors, and just calls it a career at, like, 38 or 40 and just, like, lives a life for... I mean, he wants to live till he's 105, so 65 years or whatever. Like, no one says your body has to hold up and do everything like this until you're 50. If you want to, go right ahead. But I don't think Bryson has that idea of anything like, oh, this is going to be bad for my body, all this other stuff. So it was a long-winded answer to come to the conclusion that Bryson DeChambeau is good for the game of golf. I like him. I root for Bryson. And I 100% understand why other other people don't. Our next set of questions comes from Michael Bennett, a three-parter. So I'm going to get into it now. With all the free agent signings by the Patriots, will they make the playoffs? All these free agent signings are great. They got a lot of help on the defensive side of the ball. There's still some questions with Gilmore coming back. If they're going to bring him back, how they're going to do that. One of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. The offense... You see, the problem with the Patriots last year was the quarterback play and the receivers were just not good enough. They bring in Kendrick Bourne, who, decent. They bring in Nelson Aguilar, who had a resurgence last year um, in Las Vegas because Derek Carr could throw the ball deep downfield. I think Cam Newton can still do that to an extent, but I don't think he's this big, deep ball-like thrower. They bring in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. I think those two are massive for Cam Newton or whoever they might have at quarterback. If they go and draft somebody in the NFL draft and they say, hey, we're going to sort of bring you along behind Cam Newton, maybe take your, maybe like a Mac Jones or somebody like that, I don't, I'm purely speculating on what they're going to do in the draft, but if they can do that, for this season, I'm still a little weary about Cam Newton being a playoff leading team like quarterback. It doesn't what they're gonna have on defense is going to be very good. What they added in free agency on the offensive side of the ball is going to lend to a better offense for sure. But Cam Newton still concerns me a little bit. Um I'm. I definitely expect Cam to have an uptick this year, um, after the season of being fully healthy and everything last year. So I, you think they're probably not going to win ten games to win, probably eleven, ten to eleven. I'd say eleven to twelve to win the division, and then ten games to make the wild card. I think they could probably make the wild card, but not win the division. I think the Bills are still. 
the like team to beat in the AFC East. And then you also have the Dolphins that are still solid and good. And if Tua can take a leap, they're going to be a factor in the AFC East conversation. So they can make the playoffs, but it's going to take a big improvement from what Cam Newton was last year to this year to do it. Mike also asked, was Drew Brees the greatest free agent signing in NFL history from the Chargers of Saints? As far as I know, yes. What Drew Brees meant to the city of New Orleans, not just the Saints team, but that entire city was something special that I don't think you can really quantify in donations he made, charities he set up, appearances he made, or anything like that. He gave that city um, an entire sense of hope for so many years especially after Katrina and then what he produced on the field with the Saints after leaving the Chargers with a shoulder injury what he was able to do for them on the field was again you can measure that a little bit more because of statistics but um yes he was 100% the best signing um in free agency in history that I could think of Mike, his last question asks, what's your favorite TV show from the past year? So, I'm a little unsure of this. I'm not sure if he's asking what my favorite TV show that was released in the last year was or the favorite TV show that I watched in the last year. I'm going to answer both. I am going to say I think Queen's, Queen's Gambit was my favorite show that came out in this last year. And then my favorite show... I got a couple that I've discovered through the pandemic and everything. Uh, number one, Middlelich and Schwartz on Netflix, a sketch improv comedy show um, done entirely live on stage in front of an audience. Very good. Highly recommend it. It's on Netflix. Detroiters with Sam Richardson and Tim Robinson. Uh, big fan of that. On ComedyCentral.com to stream. If you like, I think you should leave. I think you're going to absolutely love Detroiters. I would also say Drive to Survive on Netflix. The look inside of Formula One gives a great follow and backs, like, it gives a novice viewer like myself that I was a good insight into the backstage or behind the scenes of formula one racing and i devoured that through quarantine and luckily for me the third season is going to be coming out on friday so i'm excited about that those were my three and if that's what what you're asking mike i hope i answered your question and then the last question from instagram that i have here comes from dave Jaduri, who asked browns expectations this upcoming year they will make the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to win the AFC North. I think they can definitely do the wild card route again. Maybe it'd be a little bit more comfy than what it was last year. I don't think Browns fans really truly understood that last year, like there was a path that the 10 win Browns weren't going to make the playoffs at all just because of the way head to heads and different tiebreakers for the NFL worked out that they could not have made it. Obviously they have a really great last year last year one of the best in recent memory they make the playoffs they beat the Steelers they take the Chiefs to the fourth quarter and have a pretty competitive game obviously I understand that is without Patrick Mahomes playing um, in that fourth quarter but they were one defensive stop away from playing in the AFC championship game last year which is extremely impressive from where they were to where they are now Looking at next year, they bring back basically everybody on offense. The O-line was key for them last year, and they're bringing everybody back for that. Baker can continue to improve. OBJ comes back, and I, I'm so sick of hearing people talk about how he's a detriment and the Browns need to trade him. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. You don't trade him. I don't care about I'm so sick of all the media just having to find something to talk about, so that's what they talk about. Um, you have Chubb and Hunt coming back, excited about that. The defense needs to improve. They've done that a little bit so far in this offseason. They signed John Johnson, one of the better safeties in the NFL. Um, they're still in the market for an edge rusher and a other cornerback and maybe a linebacker. They've got the 26th pick in the draft that they can address some of these issues as well. Um, I'm interested to see how Stefanski's offense, some new wrinkles that maybe they add. 
things are looking up for Browns fans, and I think there's a good reason to believe that they could win the AFC North and possibly make the AFC uh, championship game this year. And if that happens, anything can happen, and they could find themselves in the Super Bowl. But realistically, playoff team and hope to make the AFC championship. Sticking with a few Browns-themed questions, uh, Davis Candabell sends in, can we officially say the AFC is between the Bills, the Browns, and the Chiefs? The Chiefs are going to be really good. The Bills are still going to be really good. The Browns are going to be really good. It is going to be interesting to see if teams like the Dolphins can take that next step, if the Patriots can find some semblance of normalcy with Cam and everything like that. How Carson Wentz in the AFC South with the Colts, how he's going to do. Um, but I do think, yes, those three teams should be, and the Ravens. It's hard. It's You should not forget about the Ravens because I do think Lamar Jackson, it's hard to bet against him because of how dynamic of a playmaker he is. But it's looking like you could say probably the three teams you mentioned as the Browns, Bills, and Chiefs, and then I would even throw in the Ravens as well as the three teams in the AFC that you could say, hey, these guys are maybe clearly above everybody else, and everybody else is trying to play catch up with them. Dave also adds, um, also, Johnson is a fucking beast. I love Andrew Barry and cannot wait to see Phillips and Wilson with Delpit, Greedy, Harrison, Johnson, and the boys rushing. Dave, you got me fired up. I wish it was September right now. I wish we were freaking popping pads right now, playing some pigskin. But we have some time to wait. But there are a lot of key pieces for the Browns that can continue to develop. Um, guys coming back from injury like Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit, that if they can play to the potential like they thought they could when they were drafted and get over these injuries, then yes, there's a lot of reason to be excited for what the Browns can be this year. We continue on... Let's see. Polly Marino asks a question. She asks, when is Polly going to be on the show? Probably never, um, but maybe we'll see. Maybe we can work something out. And then Kyle Gregory asks, how do I fix my golf swing? Kyle and I played golf yesterday. I had only seen or played with him golf maybe like two or three other times before that. Um, He's got that sort of Bryson thing where he straightens his arm out really far and all the way back through. You had some good shots. Um, just We just got to work on consistency. How do I do that? I have no clue because I'm nowhere near a uh, PGA pro or anything like that. But um, I think we work on the mental stuff. It was easy to get down on yourself yesterday. We got to remain positive and say, hey, it, it happened. That shot, that bad shot happened. The most important shot is the next shot. We just got to keep moving on. Next shot is the most important shot. And then we have a question from Avery Rodinelli about the Steelers. He asked, Bud Dupree on the Titans. How is a UK Steelers fan supposed to feel? The Steelers were sort of in cap hell. They've lost some decent players on the defensive side of the ball. Bud Dupree being the biggest one of that. Um, I think the writing was on the wall all year that they weren't going to bring him back after they franchise tagged him last year. Um, You should be excited that you get to watch Bud Dupree in Tennessee and so many UK fans are going to be able to go and watch him when it's just in Nashville. I would be upset as a Steelers fan because he is a great secondary rusher to TJ Watt, but I I think the Steelers are due to regress heavily, unfortunately, this next year. Um, so I would be kind of concerned about what that rush is going to look like. Because, yes, I mean, yes, you have Cam Hayward. He's aging, but he still is very good. TJ Watt, one of, if not the best, pass rushers in the NFL. But you, I think Bud was sort of that ultimate like number two to TJ Watt that they could have used. So be happy that UK fans get to see Bud probably a little bit more, but as a Steelers fan primarily, um, which I know you are, I would be a little concerned about the rush and the defense and just honestly the Steelers overall in general. I'm concerned. Um, Our next question comes from Jack Muldoon who asks, foreign country you want to visit jack we talked about this on the pod when you were on but i'd like to go to venice and then he asked top three shows i'm 
top three shows ever in no particular order. I'm a big fan of The Office, I think, as everyone is. I'm a big fan of Entourage. And then a show that I, I think New Girl, because I think I go back and watch those three shows the most out of anything. So The Office, Entourage, and New Girl. And then our last question comes from Evan DeVruas. Bengals, cornerback uh, situation. Good move or bad move? They did lose one cornerback who I believe was their number one guy um, to the Washington football team yesterday. But they did sign Mike Hilton, who he was decent in Pittsburgh. I, it's still obviously a rebuilding year. You get... Uh, Trey Hendrickson from the Saints as well to be a rusher. You lose Carl Lawson. I both of those guys. I think they their level. I don't think one's better than the other. Um, cornerback situation though. I think you can address that in the draft. There's some other guys that maybe with your cap space you can look at in free agency as one year deals and things like that. Short deals that they can prove that they're worth money um, in free agency. Next year, I the Bengals right now, I think they just want solid players that are going to compete and be like hard workers because I think they know they're still in this rebuilding phase. And until they strike gold on somebody through a draft or like a free agent signing that goes good, I don't think they're big thing is like, hey, we need to go get a lockdown corner. We need to go get this guy. It's, hey, if we come across one of them then in the draft or freedoms, then yeah, we will like pay these guys and keep these guys. But until then, it's sort of just a plug-and-play situation for the Bengals secondary. Thank you all to everyone for sending in questions for the mail sack this week. It was extremely short notice, um, but thank you very much for everyone doing that. That segment obviously is not possible without you all. We're now going to switch focus to the main topic of this podcast, and it is the NCAA basketball tournament. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you before I do this. This season was probably of college basketball was probably the least watched season of college basketball by me in quite some time it was extremely hard to get into a flow and a rhythm of watching college basketball and I know that's kind of weird to say like hey like there's games on like just watch but you look and I plan like my nights on like weekdays most of the time like oh this game's on I'm gonna be watching this or this game's on I'll be watching that and I would try and do that And be like, oh, say Baylor's going to play West Virginia. Well, that game's, I'm looking at that on Sunday and that game's on Thursday. By Thursday, when that comes around, there's already been, because of like contact tracing or something like that, the game's postponed and it's going to be played at a later date. And I found that happening so often that I just sort of wouldn't even say like, make make it a point to watch college basketball and we'll just be like, oh, this game's on? Okay, yeah, I'll check it out and see. Rather than, hey, I'm going to sit down and really pay attention and watch this basketball game and look forward to this game because there was so uncertain all year if this game was going to actually be played. Um, so the analyst part of this is going to be a little less than stellar than what it has been in previous years of me doing this, um, but I still think I'm qualified because... Anybody with a brain, eyes, and a mouth is qualified to talk about sports. So that's what I'm going to do. So we now get into the NCAA tournament bracket breakdown portion of this episode of Carson Sack. In the first game in the West region, Gonzaga, the overall number one seed, is taking on either North Falls State or Appalachia State. Playing game to see who is going to face Gonzaga. No matter who wins that, I am going to take Gonzaga to move on into the second round of the West region. The 8 versus 9 game in this region is Oklahoma and Missouri. Oklahoma, a decent season under Long Kruger. Uh, under Martin, though, for Missouri, I think they were trending in the middle of the season. Sort of regressed a little bit, but I think they are ultimately the better team than Oklahoma. Um, 
I'm going to take Missouri over Oklahoma to move on to the second round. The third game in this region, Creighton, the five seed going up against USCB. A lot of the gauchos, a lot of people, um, when the bracket was first released, were in on this team, the gauchos, being this 12 versus 5 upset. Creighton has looked questionable um, ever since the comments by Big Dermot, their head coach, about the plantation and everything like that. It's sort of this trendy pick that it's like, well, if everybody's picking it, then like maybe I should go against it. If that makes any sense, because everybody's so in on the Gauchos that, hey, maybe Creighton really is good and they could do this. So I'm going to go with Creighton over the Gauchos. And then the next game, we have Virginia going up against Ohio. Ohio is going to have the best player on the court in Jason Preston. Um, Ohio's 9-1 and in their last 10 games. The only loss they had came to Buffalo. Um... They avenged that loss, though, in the MAC championship game. I just... Virginia, the last couple years, has... I mean, obviously, yes, the last time we had a tournament, they won the whole damn thing. But those guys aren't walking through that door. And Virginia this year has been... Like, they've been a diet Virginia, if that makes sense. Like, they've done what Virginia does, just not as good as they recently have in past years. So I'm going to go with Ohio to pull off the upset in this to move on. Then we have USC and Evan Mobley taking on either Wichita State or Drake. Either way, I'm taking USC because I think this is sort of like... Evan Mobley, a lot of talks about Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State being this number one NBA draft pick, and he very well probably is going to be. But I think Evan Mobley is going to remind a lot of people in this tournament that, like, hey, I'm pretty fucking good too, and I'm going to probably be the second overall pick. Then we have Kansas going up against Eastern Washington. I think Kansas might struggle a little bit in this game just because of the COVID and not being able to practice and some key guys, their key rebounder. I think he leads the team in rebounds. He's out. Um, they do get two other guys back from COVID, but we've seen with teams that have had to go on COVID pause that they're not the same team when they come back just because of conditioning and chemistry and all this stuff. But I do think they are just flat out better and they play good enough defense to beat Easter Washington. So I do think they do that. Next, we have Oregon going up against VCU. Oregon, again, issues with COVID this year, but once they got everybody there healthy, they were looking pretty good in the Pac-12. They can shoot the ball extremely well. Um, I Typically, I'm a big VCU betting backer, and that is me just simply riding off the coattails of them in the March uh, Madness Final Four run they made many years ago with Shaka Smart, but I am going to take... I'm going to... You know, fuck it. I'm going to take VCU just because I... Typically ride with them, and they burn me when I do tend to bet. So they'll probably burn me here, so whatever. And then the two seed in the West Division, the Iowa Hawkeyes, led by Garza um, under Coach McCaffrey. A ton of shooting around him. In the big games they've had this year, um, in the Big Ten, I think they pretty much split that, and then you go back to the start of the year when they played Gonzaga, lose by 11. But uh, obviously I think they can handle Grand Canyon. And the way I'm going to do this, since that is the end, I'm just going to go simply straight down and go through each of the regions, and then we'll go to the second round and so forth and so forth. So, in the East region, you have the number one ranked Michigan Wolverines. They're going to be without Isaiah Livers in this game against... um, Texas Southern or the uh, Mount St. Mary's. I'm going to move Michigan on even without Livers, who I think is the key player for them. If they are going to end up winning a national championship, he's going to have to come back and hopefully play. But um, what they have in Dickerson and Wagner and then Mike Smith as well. Excuse me, it's Wagner, not Wagner. Wagner. Um, Those three guys are good, and they also have some great role players and a lot of shooting um, around those guys. Uh, The transfer Mike Smith, as I mentioned, has been absolutely awesome for them. Comes over, fills his role perfectly. I move Michigan on. Um, Next, we have LSU going up against St. Bonaventure. I am going to go with LSU over the Bonnies in this one. Next, we have Colorado, the five seed, going up against Georgetown. Everybody is hot on Georgetown right now. Um, 
I understand great story. Patrick Ewing takes them on that run in the Big East to win. Patrick Ewing gets his guys into the NCAA tournament. They probably were not going to make it without him doing that. But I have Colorado. I think they're a better team. They've got good shooting on the team as well. Um, Colorado moves on. Then we have Florida State going up against UNC Greensboro. Florida State is a real... At the beginning of the year, before this season started, I had them as a Final Four team. Go back, check the receipts, listen if you want to, but I did. I still might have them making it that far, but there's just some games, especially against Georgia Tech, who, like, Georgia Tech's decent, but Florida State's a much more talented team and a better team, and, like, I think Packers is a good coach, but I don't think Leonard Hamilton's getting like out coached by him. So there's just games where Florida State loses and they like lay an egg and they just should not be doing. I don't think they do that in this game, but uh, Florida State, if they're going to make a run, they have to play their best game of basketball each game, if that makes sense. Like they cannot take teams lightly, they can't step off. And I think Scotty Barnes is going to play a big role in that um, to do that. Then we have BYU either going up against Michigan State or UCLA. Everybody is so sold on this being such a great game on the play-in. I think it's probably going to suck. I think whichever team does win UCLA Michigan State is going to blow them out. But I'm going to take BYU over whoever wins that game just because in the what's in the in the WCC conference championship game. BYU was hanging with Gonzaga for most of the game, and then Gonzaga just like flipped a switch and took over. I don't think Michigan State or UCLA is a complete enough team to hang with BYU, who is always just fundamentally sound. And this year is decent and gave Gonzaga one of their better games they had all year. So I take BYU. Then we have Texas going against Abilene Christian. I take Texas and Chaka Smart. Then we have UConn over Maryland. I'm in on UConn and Book Knight. I think he is a potential guy that can break out this year and show what he in this tournament and show what he can do. And then we have Alabama, the two seed, going over Iona and Rick Patino. Next, we move to the South, and Baylor is the one seed taken on Hartford. I move Baylor on. They're just very good. Then this next game in the South is one of the first game first. Round games, excuse me, that I'm most looking forward to. You have North Carolina going up against Wisconsin. Wisconsin sort of fluttered, done, eh, down the stretch. And then for a while, North Carolina obviously beat Duke in the last head-to-head matchup they had. And then in the ACC tournament, they were looking very good um, and doing extremely well. Their big men rotation, the three guys they have, is extremely impressive. Uh, Baycott, I watched him against, ooh, I think it was against Florida State. He did well, and then the game before that, um, he had like 10 straight points, and I was blown away. Like, how did I not know about this guy and pay attention to this guy um, as much as I should have throughout the year? I think if Caleb Love can just play decent in this game and decent in this tournament and Roy can use those three guys down low that they have, um, then I like North Carolina to beat uh, Wisconsin. Then we have Villanova going up against Winthrop. Villanova, this is the team that, if you look back, I believe they've either made the Final Four or haven't got out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament in like their last Five or six years. I heard a stat like that, and I'm going to quote it, and it's probably wrong, but I'm going to quote it. Um, Winthrop is 24-1. and They only have one loss on the year. I'm moving Winthrop on. Next, we have Purdue going up against North Texas. Do not sleep on Purdue. Purdue is going to be a threat in this tournament. Then we have Texas Tech going up against Utah State. I think Chris Beard, it's going to be a good game between these two, but Chris Beard and McClung are going to move Texas Tech on. Then we have Arkansas going up against Colgate. The must bus rolls on to the second round to face Texas Tech in a game that I'm extremely excited for. Then we have Virginia Tech going up against Florida in the 7-10 and matchup. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. That's who they played. Virginia Tech played... Um, North Carolina in the ACC tournament, and Baycott had like 10 points in a row. Um, I was 
extremely impressed with Virginia Tech's uh, just like depth that they had, and then ability when they did find themselves down that game, they just remained calm and like, hey, there's tons of times left we can still come back. So I'm going to take Virginia Tech over Florida just because I don't think Florida has the players that are going to be able to exploit the weaknesses of Virginia Tech in this game. And then the two-seed Ohio State going up against Oral Roberts, Ohio State. Our last region is the Midwest. We have Illinois, the one-seed, going up against Drexel. Illinois moves on. Then we have Loyola Chicago and Georgia Tech. I'm going to move Georgia Tech on. They Under Passner, they run a very um, good defensive team. They have one guy in Alvarado who is really just, I think, embodies what Passner likes in a basketball player. And when there's storylines like Loyola Chicago going up against Illinois, the like Illinois teams, the Chicago team like that, um, it normally doesn't pan out in the March Madness, so I'm going to take Georgia Tech to upset um, Loyola Chicago. Then we have Tennessee going up against Oregon State. Tennessee at times just cannot score the basketball. Um, Oregon State is hot, but I'm going to go with Tennessee in this one. The next game, Oklahoma State, the four seed, going up against Liberty. Um, in the 4 versus 12 matchup. Everybody is so high on Cade Cunningham this year, especially with what they were able to do in the Big 12 tournament, obviously. But I am going to still move on Oklahoma State, but Liberty is a good coach team. They're very good. They got to play against some of the Power 5 teams that a lot of these mid-majors didn't get to do this year. Um, so they're not going to be like blown away and super surprised by the size and speed and everything of Oklahoma State and Caden Cunningham. They've played guys like that this year. Um, but ultimately, I do think Oklahoma State moves on. Then we have San Diego State and Syracuse. Um, Buddy Beheim, I'm out on. I'm out on Jim Beheim as well. I move on San Diego State. Then West Virginia against Moorhead State. I will take Huggins and West Virginia. Clemson going up against Rutgers. Rutgers this year, I think once conference play started, they have to be so happy to finally play somebody else besides somebody in the Big Ten. They were, I think, one in ten against top twenty-five teams this year. Um, it, Rutgers is a better team than what the rec- the record is, and Clemson at times just cannot score the fucking ball. And I think Rutgers can do that and will do that in this game. So I have them upsetting. Clemson, and then Houston versus Cleveland State. I'm going to take Houston to move on. We go back up to the top of the brackets, and we look at the West round one, uh, round of 32. Excuse me. We have the number one seed Gonzaga going up against Missouri. I'm going to take Gonzaga in this one. I think it's going to be a good game. I think Suggs and Kispert and all the other players that Gonzaga has is just going to be too much uh, for Missouri. Missouri keeps it close, but Gonzaga does end up winning. And then in my upset here, everybody was saying that um, Creighton, obviously they had some poor performances, obviously in the Big East championship game, where just at times they couldn't score. I think this is where they run into a problem, and Ohio ends up upsetting them to set up the matchup between what everybody had, and everybody has just been clamoring for all year, Gonzaga versus Ohio, um, in the Sweet 16, but I do have Ohio moving on. Then we have Kansas going up against USC. Kansas the three seed, USC the six. This is where I think the whole COVID and that time off and Mobley wanting to show and impress really comes into play. So I have USC upsetting Kansas and then move on to the Sweet 16. And then VCU versus Iowa. I think Garza and that shooting for uh, Iowa is going to be too much. I have Iowa moving on. In the East region, Michigan plays LSU. This is going to be an extremely close game. I am going to move Michigan on. I think maybe this could be um, a buzzer beater winning type game that Michigan has to do. They get by barely. Um, I think Dickerson's going to have to play big in this game. I think Mike Smith is going to have to play big in this. But I do think they do step up when their numbers are called and they do move on. Next, we have Colorado playing Florida State. Again, I'm super high on Scotty Barnes and the rest of the Florida State Seminoles, so I have them beating Colorado to move on. 
Then we have BYU playing Texas. Texas rounding into shape a little bit at the end of the season, getting back their mojo that they had at the start. I take Texas to move on and beat BYU. And then Alabama and UConn should be a fun game, but I do think that Alabama's, like, weakness quote-unquote weakness is that they don't have this big man and UConn doesn't have like this dominant big man um and so if you're just going to go and try and score and beat Alabama and keep up with them UConn has some guys that they can do that I mean obviously book night is this guy it could be a really good game but I'm going to go with Alabama over UConn and then in the south a game that I'm looking very much forward to if it does shake out this way Baylor going up against North Carolina Um, Again, it's going to be how does Roy Williams use his three bigs in the rotation, but I take Baylor in this. Um, So many people are down on Baylor after the COVID break they had to take. Um, They win the Big 12 regular season, and then it's their defense has struggled, yes, after the COVID break, but all season long, what did you hear? Oh, give me Gonzaga and Baylor. You can have the field in this tournament. Like yeah, that it should it still shouldn't change all that much. Maybe you could add Illinois to that as well. But Baylor is still a very good basketball team and extremely deep. Um, and I think they're going to be able to get some guys in foul trouble in this game if it does shake out that way. And Baylor does move on and win. Then we have Purdue going up against Winthrop. I have Purdue. Ivy. Williams, their power forward, number 50 for them, is one of the better power forwards I've seen. He is so good. Um, they Purdue's very good. Um, I've watched a lot of them this year just because being in the Big Ten and them playing Ohio State three times already this year. Um, they have a seven-foot guy as well. If that if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, Purdue moves on. Then we have Texas Tech and Arkansas. I am going to go. Man, this is going to be a good game. There are a ton of good games here. I will go. <sighs> BPI conference. You know. Okay, I will take Arkansas in that, but it is going to be a good game. Then we have Virginia Tech going up against Ohio State. Ohio State moves on. Illinois versus Georgia Tech in the Midwest. Illinois, they are one of the hottest teams in the country. I will take Oklahoma State over Tennessee in that round of 32. Give me West Virginia to beat San Diego State in that 3 for 6 matchup. And then give me Houston over Rutgers to move on to the Sweet 16. In the Sweet 16... We go back up to the top, and we have the West region, Gonzaga, going up against Ohio. This is where the shoe stops fitting for Ohio, where they made it on their run a couple years ago to the Sweet 16. It also ends here. I'm going to go with Gonzaga over Ohio. Then USC and Iowa. Again, I think if you want to call USC a Cinderella sort of with the sixth seed here, I think it runs out. I think Garza is too much down low, and the shooting that complements that goes with Iowa. And Iowa is going to have to find some defense at some point um, all year. Their defense has been sort of poor, especially the second half of the year in Big Ten play. But I do think things sort of start coming together for Iowa in this tournament, and they do end up making it to the lead eight. Then we have Michigan going up against Florida State. If Livers is not back, I take Florida State in this game comfortably even with him back I it's definitely a closer game but I take Florida State over Michigan Michigan has a lot of guys they can roll big guys they can throw at you Florida State has a lot of guys as well and Michigan's big men might be a little bit better but they both big men for Michigan and Florida State have the same skill sets um and it's going to be exciting to see how those match up. And then if you told me just, hey, like who's the best player on the court, um, Barnes and Dickerson, I would lean sort of towards Barnes. Um, he hasn't gotten to really get as many minutes as Dickerson uh, in capacity, and it all doesn't sort of flow through Dickerson and how it it doesn't all. The offense doesn't 
flow through Barnes like it does Dickerson sometimes for Michigan. But in this game, I do think Barnes has a big game and the rest of Florida State's big men step up and Florida State beats Michigan. Then we have Texas going up against Alabama. I'm going to move the tide on. Um, just looking at that, the points per game, Alabama 79. They're 16-2 in conference. Their BPI rank, though, is 9. Um, Alabama has the Defensive Player of the Year, Herbert Jones, Nate Oates coming in, installing that fast-paced system um, where they get so many shots up. I'm going to move Alabama on. Then we have Baylor going up against Purdue. This is going to be... This is my toughest game. I'm going to move Baylor on, but Purdue is so good that I can easily see them winning this game and making their way to the Final Four somehow. Um, 100% could. Um... I think whichever team does win this game is going to ultimately end up in the Final Four. But for sake of this, I'm going to say Baylor beats Purdue. And then in the South Region, in the Elite Eight, the two-versus-three, and the Sweet 16, excuse me, the two-versus-three matchup, Ohio State moves on. Ohio State with EJ Liddell. If Kyle Yang can come back from his concussion, can provide a presence down low. Um, the two guards for Arkansas scare me a little bit, but Dwayne Washington, an elite scorer for Ohio State, C.J. Walker, a senior for them as well. I think those two guys and Justice Suing can step up and guard and slow down Arkansas's guards, and Ohio State can prevail and win this. Next, we in the Midwest, we have Illinois going up against Oklahoma State, and if this happens... I think the two best point guards in college basketball will be playing each other with Io DeSumo for Illinois and Kid Cunningham with Oklahoma State. I hope we get this matchup, but I think there's way too much Kofi Coburn, who all last year, they called him Cockburn. This year, Coburn, big conspiracy out there. Look into it. But um, I think he's going to be too much, and Oklahoma State's not going to have an answer for him. I don't think a lot of teams are going to have an answer for Coburn this tournament. I have Illinois moving on. Then I have Houston beating uh, West Virginia. I think grinds for Houston and what Sampson has done, um, consistently making them um, AAC winners. That yeah, that's the conference name, and then. Um, Pretty much high seeds in the NCAA tournament, um, losing Kentucky a few years ago. Um, but I think Grimes this year, though, for them, propels them past West Virginia into the Elite Eight. We now look at the Elite Eight. We have Gonzaga going up against Iowa in the West, Florida State going up against Alabama, Baylor playing Ohio State, and Illinois playing Houston. I am going to move Gonzaga on past Iowa. I think it's a closer game than the first time, but I think Iowa's defense starts to flutter and reverts back to how it was in the middle to late half of the season, and Suggs and Kispert and the rest of Gonzaga uh, just scores too many points and advances to the Final Four. In the East, we have Florida State going up against Alabama. I'm going to take Florida State. I think their depth and being able to throw a lot of guys at Alabama um, is going to be a... Big bonus for them. I think Alabama, with the style of play, may be playing all these games. So, on top of each other, can maybe wear on them. And they live by the three and die by the three at times. And I think, ultimately, they die by the three in this game. But a great first season under Nate Oates for Alabama. In the South, we have Baylor playing Ohio State. Um, as much as I want to say Ohio State wins, I'm going to take Baylor. Um, I think they're going to have too many guys that they're going to be able to throw at Ohio State down low and maybe get Kyle Young, EJ Liddell in foul trouble. And EJ, EJ Liddell, um, Ohio State's best player, arguably him or Dwayne Washington. Um, if Liddell's in trouble, that team struggles at times with a presence down low to score. So I take Baylor over Ohio State. And then Illinois beats Houston. So, I know this is kind of chalky, three number one seeds, but deal with it. Um, I'm going to go with Gonzaga over Florida State, and then I'm going to go with Illinois over Baylor. I just think Coburn's going to be too much, and I think Gonzaga is going to be too much for Florida State. Um, Gonzaga has enough depth and good players to keep up with Florida State, and Illinois, Coburn, too much. DeSumo, too much. And then I move on.
Illinois versus Gonzaga in the national championship. I'm going to take Gonzaga. Illinois, with what they have with DeSumo, with Coburn, with Miller, with Frazier, um, with Gishvili, with Corbello, all these guys that, I mean, that's six right there that can go off and get you, either of those guys can score 10 points a game, double figures, easily, and then obviously Coburn and DeSumo are scoring more, but I just like what they do. Um, Versus the top 25 this year, Illinois seven and three, Gonzaga four and zero. Oh. The BPI rank Gonzaga is number one. Uh, Illinois is four. Gonzaga, <coughs> excuse me, ninety two points per game. Illinois eighty one. I attest that to Illinois playing better competition throughout the year. And you look at it, Desumu and Suggs, those two. Wash really, I think Suggs might be a little bit better, but I don't think by any means is Suggs going to just go out and outperform Vasumu. Vasumu's going to get his own, and then I think Coburn's much better than Kispert. And Illinois has some guys that if Kispert's going to try and play away from the basket and bring Coburn out, Illinois has other guys um, in Gishvili, I believe. I hope I say his name right. That <coughs> again, excuse me, that can guard away from the basket and keep Coburn as the rim protector, shot blocker, and rebounder that he is and keep him out of foul trouble. So ultimately, I do have Illinois beating Gonzaga in the national title game. All right, that is going to do it for the NCAA Tournament College Basketball Preview. Thank you for joining me. It's always appreciated. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good shit um, on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get this podcast from. Thank you once again for listening. And as we always end here on Carson Sack, we will be... I shot you down now No brain, no hell, no conscious hey, What you do now? Now I came, I saw, I conquered hey, I shot you down now I bang, I bang, I block up hey, What you do now? Oh, big jazz rappers hey, I shot you down